Welcome to the bottom of the cinema screen, that weird empty space at the front of the cinema. That is where we are recording The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. We've chosen a job so difficult, we are going to have to start from scratch. Ryan Gosling is Neil Armstrong. I mean, need I say more? We're all going to see this anyway, right? Well, doesn't matter. We're going to review it today. Oops, everybody. Shit happens. Get the whiskey. Seven strangers, seven secrets, all staying in a hotel where the walls have eyes. John Hamm, Dakota Johnson and Chris Hemsworth star in new film from the producer and writer of Lost. It's bad times at the El Royale. Where the hell did you find this kid? And it's the story of the first Hemsworth, the first Jackman, the first Australian Hollywood heartthrob in Like Flynn. Welcome, my name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those, luckily, Vary McIntyre and Michael Campbell both have. We have a Village Cinemas Gold Class Double Pass to give away a little later on as well, but first... Neil, if this flight is successful, you'll go down in history. What kind of thoughts do you have about that? We're planning on the flight being successful. I can't imagine what it must have been like for Ryan Gosling to know that at some point during the filming of First Man, he'd have to recreate the most famous sentence ever uttered by a human being. But that's the challenge that faced him in First Man as he stepped into the shoes of Neil Armstrong. But I feel like up until this point, most space movies like The Marsh and Apollo 13, they've avoided this landing on the moon mission because it's just too iconic. Did they make a mistake or have they finally pulled it off, putting it on celluloid? I think they have, and you're right, on cellulite. It was actually filmed on cellulite film, which is mm, kind a of fact a rare that thing. I absolutely knew. <laughs> <laughs> For people that are unaware, it's the story of Neil Armstrong, the Apollo missions, but even more than that, it's about the years leading up to the during the space race, the Gemini missions, the Apollo missions, and all the stuff that these men had to go through to get to the moon. It's kind of it's it's a fighter pilot, right? Is yeah, he was, was I think it was a background? test pilot. Test pilot. I mean, it starts off with him. Uh, doing test the movie. flights. Yeah. <laughs> it starts <laughs> with him doing test flights and he's kind of testing like altitude limits and things like that. So I don't know whether he was necessarily a fighter pilot, but certainly some kind of a experimental plane pilot. Yeah, there's a particular scene where they're being interviewed for the Apollo missions and there's all these guys in army uniforms and they look over to Neil Armstrong and he's just in a normal suit and they're like, ah, civilian. So he's uh, not actually like trained as, as much as these other guys and he's the one who lands on the moon. And says, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Does Ryan actually have to face that line? Yes, he does. And I wonder how much him and Neil Armstrong got people going up to him and saying, do the line, do the line. (laughs) (laughs) What I know is that even though they put that line in, they got a lot of criticism during the premiere because they didn't include them planting the American flag. Right. So they sort of, you see it there, but they Mm. avoid showing it being done. Did they include the wide shot of Stanley Kubrick directing it all? Well, okay, so this is a really popular theory, right? That he directed the fake moon landing. Mm. But here's my only problem with that theory. Neil Armstrong. Only problem? Okay, this is my biggest problem with it (laughs) as a film geek. Neil Armstrong, like, famously flubbed his line. It was supposed to be one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. But obviously, he's an astronaut, he's not an actor. Stanley Kubrick is notorious for doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of takes (laughs) to get it perfect, as if he would go, that's close enough. So for a lot of people, this is a biopic, and for others, it's a fiction movie. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Houston, we're station keeping on the agenda about 150 feet. Okay, Jiminy 8, we have cam solid. You're looking good on the ground. Go ahead and dock. Flight, we are docked. So Ryan Gosling, what do we think? Was he good in this? 
I thought he was really great. I think what Ryan Gosling is really, really good at, and when you look at his most famous roles like Blade Runner 2049, Drive, he's really good at playing a character that internalizes all of his conflict and it's like something's just underneath the surface ready to explode. Leonardo DiCaprio shouts a lot in movies and everyone's like, good actor, he shouts a lot. But Ryan Gosling, he's not particularly showy, but he's so good at internalizing things and, and you understand exactly what he's going through without him having it's to... just behind the eyes, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And Neil Armstrong, famously a very reserved, conservative man, didn't really let emotion in that much. So I can't imagine anyone better than Ryan Gosling doing that. So Ryan Gosling's the one they're throwing around the press. Who else is involved in this film that we should be across? Claire Foy, who plays Neil Armstrong's wife. And again, it's this sort of She's character... The queen who- in... In yeah, the queen? she plays Queen Elizabeth <laughs> in The Crown, oh, the, the Crown, TV that's series. Right. She does a brilliant job as well for going from a lot of British shows that she does to this very specifically um, American. Southern American yeah. yeah, role. She does a really good job. And what I really appreciated is that even though this is a movie about Neil Armstrong, she also gets her own story. She's not just the woman in the background. She gets... A lot of screen time as well. She gets this character development. You see the family that Neil Armstrong has like sacrificed, basically, all of his relationships to do this. And then you see the effect on the family and the wife and the kids. Well, it would have been incredibly they hard go for through. Mrs. Armstrong. Well, Not yeah. knowing if like the father of your children is going to come back. And what I think is kind of clever about this movie is you could very easily make it about the missions and all the amazing mathematics that had to go into this, but it is a family drama it's about Neil Armstrong and his wife and what they had to go through to do this. And that's kind of the central through line of the movie. It's not about the mission so much as what this mission will then, how it will affect his family, how it will affect his friendships with people, people that are dying, trying to get there. I think that's a really smart decision to root it really firmly in like human emotion. Like the dinner table. Like the dinner table, yeah. And that, yeah. that scene in which he has to tell his kids that he's not coming back. So it's in the trailer. That's what it's I'm it's in the trailer. Even that, you see Ryan Gosling quite reserved. He's almost doing it like a press conference. Yeah. Like he's just so naturally ready to just report and report and report. And, you know, he's kind of detached himself that way. There are risks, but we have every intention of coming back. Somebody got a Swiss Army knife. A Swiss Army knife? Are you kidding me? With movies, I can generally work out how most things are done. I've seen enough behind the scenes and whatnot. You can work out, oh, yeah, that's obviously green screen or whatnot. There's several scenes in this film that I was legitimately like, how did they film this? Mm. I don't know whether it's just amazing CGI, whether they built practical sets or there's so many scenes. Well, it's all real. It's all real. It's all real. (laughs) (laughs) They went back. The moon set, for example, doesn't look like a set. It legitimately looks like they're Yeah, man, they went to the moon. (laughs) I guess if they could fake it in the 60s, they could fake yeah. it now. But the sets are great, you're saying, and the, the design the, the, is amazing. The effects, and... are, it looks more than any other film I've seen in a long time, like they're in space. Shall I spoil it a little bit for yes, you? Yes, please. I'm so curious. <laughs> so the director, Damien Chazelle, who directed La La Land as well, these collaborations he does with Ryan Gosling, he has said that they've tried to make it as realistic as possible. So they went to a quarry to film the moon scene. Uh, <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) They had this, apparently this giant light to replicate the sun, the biggest light that has ever been made. Wow. And it blew up on them twice. Yeah, everything they tried to get, I don't know, those test 
things that astronauts go into to like test their G-force Like the simulators things. and stuff. Yeah, the, the cabins that they go in. They tried to use all of the actual buildings, the mechanics and stuff like that instead of just CGI it. And- there's some training scenes in which mm. you can tell, man, he's really going through the ringer right now. Yeah. And there's a scene even where like people are passing out and whatnot. And I remember thinking, I think they're actually passing out. Mm, <laughs> that yeah. doesn't look fake. <laughs> you mentioned Damien Chazelle. This guy, he's like 31 years old. Mm. And he has such a, a like a mastery of the. This is so well directed. This movie, it's and also quite different to La La Land, and really different to Whiplash as well. Yeah. Like Wes Anderson, you turn on a movie within ten seconds, like this is a Wes Anderson movie. Mm. He has a very specific kind of style and kind of movie he makes. Not as a bad thing. Not That's as a, a bad thing. Choice he's made, yeah. But you know, he he makes a Wes Anderson film. Damien Chazelle seems to just try his hand at whatever. And get it. You know, he just understands how to make whole it work. His past before La La Land was in musicals and was in music rooted specifically. Yeah. And I guess you can see the connection between Whiplash, which is about a musician, and then yeah. La La Land being a musical. But First Man. We are getting to that time when they start releasing movies that they want to win Oscars. Mm-hmm. Is this in contention? I definitely yes. think it is. This seems real, the kind of movie that the Academy loves. So it sounds like this is just a genuinely good film. Is there anyone who shouldn't see this movie? Who should see this film? I should say that this isn't Apollo 13, which is a very kind of mainstream Hollywood blockbuster. And it is huge in scope like that, but it's not as kind of schmaltzy and as cheesy as, as that film maybe is. So if you're expecting that kind of schmaltz, <laughs> it's not necessarily here, but this is a fantastic... So if you're a big fan of Rockfort or <laughs> a just... double breed, you don't want this. <laughs> it's such a fantastic movie. And see it on the biggest screen you can i'll say that the scenes when they're in space are absolutely amazing and the scene i mean spoilers alert when he first steps onto the moon <laughs> we're in a like a packed out cinema i've never heard a more silent cinema than the moment when he first stepped on that moon everyone was dead silent yeah mm-hmm. and you need a good sound system as well because your seat will rumble mm-hmm. and that was fun <laughs> so one of the best remakes of the year you yeah. <laughs> got him Me. I only watch who they tell me to watch. Who's they? Management. The Martian and Lost, World War Z, even Daredevil to some degree. All of creator Drew Goddard's work revolves around something mysterious. And Bad Times at the El Royale looks like it throws one of the biggest casts on screen right now into the traditional home of mystery, deceit, and just general bad times, the hotel. So this one is about one night seven strangers happen to meet at the El Royale, which is a rundown hotel with a dark past. Each of them has a deadly secret and some of them may not survive the night. It feels like, so, it sounds like a very Tarantino script. Yeah, I have heard a lot of references to that. And then a lot of other people have said, no, you've got to get away from comparing everything that's slightly edgy to Tarantino. <laughs> well, this is its own film. the plot to The Hateful Eight. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like literally seven people seven. with seven parts. Yeah, but this one is more a homage to classic Hollywood film noir. So it's got 60s decor, a soul soundtrack. It's not as gory or edgy as a Tarantino film. This is something quite unique. So nobody has seen this yet. But I am very excited for it, just even from the trailers and what I've been reading about it. 
Yeah, this looks right up my alley. I love these kind of big ensemble casts. I think the main attraction is Chris Hemsworth. He's the biggest on the Thor. poster, I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But also you've got Jeff Bridges, John Hamm, Dakota yeah. Johnson. What's uh, Dakota Johnson been? The Fifty Shades movies. Yeah. The Fifty Shades yes. movies. Yeah. Nick Offerman's in it as well. Mm. On Parks and Rec. The, yeah. the moustache. As is man. Jim O'Hare <laughs> from Parks and Rec, who plays See, Larry. <laughs> a huge cast that we're listing here. Ken, is there room for that many people in a film, you reckon? This is the thing. With these big Hollywood cast movies it's a real gamble something like love actually totally works and then something like say, valentine's day maybe not and tarantino is very good at juggling it say the avengers cast are very good at juggling it but it's a real juggling act and that i think is the real thing that this is going to kind of pin on is whether or not that cast works as an ensemble I've heard that it's going to change perspectives between each of the characters because it's only one night. They don't have to go through a lot of plot. So you'll see a scene and then see it from two or three characters' perspectives. And that's really one of those like murder mystery type tropes that you get. We were talking about something similar to this with American Animals last week, how they show it from mm. different perspectives. And yeah. we are saying how cinema develops and the language of cinema is still changing. And it feels like maybe there's a, a thing of that at the moment if there's another film doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, I get vibes from Murder on the Orient Express, uh-huh. that sort of murder mystery. And also those old-timey films that are set in one location. Mm, yeah. Maybe they just had the budget for like, right, we just set up in this one motel where we can film the entire film. But weirdly though, this looks like a big budget film. You know, mm. it doesn't look particularly cheap. And I was even thinking about it. I was trying to think of the last time there was a huge Hollywood cast with a big budget that was an original movie that wasn't an adaption, wasn't mm, a remake, oh yeah. wasn't a sequel. I can't really think of one other than maybe a Tarantino movie. But again, he's almost like a franchise in himself now. People will see it because it's Tarantino. Well, we've mentioned a director who didn't direct this movie. Who is behind this film? (laughs) So this is uh, Drew Goddard, who's kind of, I guess, like king of the nerds. Any kind of pop culture icon in the last 15 years, he somehow had a hand in. Buffy, Lost, Daredevil for... think just the first season of Daredevil. Mm. The Martian, he wrote. He wrote and directed Cabin in the Woods. He's a great writer and he's only really ever directed cabin in the woods and a couple of tv episodes but so far everything he's directed has also been great how'd you end up with the el royale the ritz carlton was booked this place used to be hustling and bustling this is not a place for a priest father you shouldn't be here we might need to work on your sales pitch son <laughs> the el royale no place for a priest so we're talking about an Oscar film before. Do you reckon this is the same thing or is this a bit of a romp? This looks a little more trashy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It looks so up my alley, though. I'm so excited for this movie. It looks fun. It does look fun. It's like, you're right, the film noir kind of aesthetic. There's a lot of people backlit in a doorway, which is a very kind of <laughs> popular film noir trope. I love it. I love it all. And Jeff yeah. Bridges. I just, I love Jeff Bridges. So. Yeah. He's, he's dressed as a priest, but he's a bank robber. What's going on? Mm. So who should see this film? If you love espionage, political intrigue, murder mysteries, all of that, this is right up your alley. Classic cinema, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Me? I should see it. I'm so yeah. excited for this movie, man. <laughs> Also in cinemas this week, Venom. Yes, the Spider-Man movie without Spider-Man. Yeah, American Animals. A brazen daylight heist movie. And a playwright classic, The Seagull. Yes, the old Chekhov play. There's finally a film adaptation. You can hear about all those if you want by clicking on the previous episode in whatever podcast app you're in right now. Like a moth to a flame. You scumbag. Ripper of a show you put on today. You'd be ashamed to see you depart so soon. There's not much to know about Errol Flynn. He was a Hollywood star. He was a bit of a hunk. 
He was a ladies' man, shall we say. He was always wielding a sword on and off the screen. He was an Australian, I know that, and I think he enjoyed a drink. He might have died of it. So I'm hoping that the biopic In Like Flynn, which is based on a book and a screenplay by his own hand, goes a little deeper. Does it? Not particularly, actually. It's mainly about young Errol Oh, okay. Errol so who Flynn. should see this film? <laughs> <laughs> it's about young Errol Flynn before his Hollywood days. He's known as like the swashbuckling kind of 1940s Hollywood action hero. And what they've tried to- 1930s, right? 1930s, this film yeah. was set. And what they've done is they've gone, well, he was known as like a swashbuckling adventurer on the screen. So we're going to retell his, his younger years as a swashbuckling adventure. So that's kind of what they've gone for. They've tried to make it almost like an Indiana Jones-esque adventure about, look at this crazy life he had before he was known as this. I got the feeling right at the beginning it was kind of going to be uh, the mummy or Pirates of the Caribbean because we start in Papua New Guinea, which is where he grew up. So him and a couple of mates get this boat or steal a boat and they take it from Sydney back up to Papua New Guinea in search of gold. So it's their adventure along the way up the coast of Australia and there's a few stop-offs. My highlight was David Wenham, who's also in it. So we've got some... It seemed to me like he thought he was in a different movie. (laughs) He's like, I get it, wacky comedy. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So he plays the mayor of this town. Is it in Townsville? Yes. When it's basically just a few buildings and like a horse and cart going down the road. And he's just... just Ville. (laughs) Yeah. From the trailer, I've found it difficult to discern whether this is one of those Australian comedies or whether it's more serious. It's sort of, I sort of can't tell, really. What I think it's trying to be, and especially in the opening scene, is establish that Errol Flynn was like the Australian uh, Indiana Jones. The, the opening scene of this movie is almost beat for beat the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark. He is bringing people to a... a ancient artifact he's protecting them from all the booby traps that are there and even in several scenes they kind of dress him like indiana jones they put the kind of khaki shirt and the leather jacket on him and i know that's kind of just the generic adventurer's outfit from the 30s but i think that they were like we don't mind if people make that connection you know are we trying to claim errol flynn with this movie is it like didn't you know he was australian yeah i think so Mm. because you know errol flynn he's like the original Robin Hood. He's been in so many movies. Everybody might know his face and maybe know his name, um, but I wasn't aware he was born in Australia. And when I heard that it was going to be a movie about Errol Flynn, I was like, okay, there's a classic like Hollywood, how he became a heartthrob. And I like that the difference in this was the before and how he became that Hollywood heartthrob because all of his skills and all of his crazy life adventures that he had before that was how he was able to become such a good Hollywood star. So this is his like origin story. He did have a swashbuckling life. He also had a much wilder, darker life. Is this someone that we really want to be claiming for our own or putting on the big screen? Well, this is something I noticed. So this is a very, very romanticised version well, he of, wrote of Errol Flynn. He wrote the book. There's several Flynns and then someone's uh, like, un- under the producers and the writers. A lot of Flynn yeah. comes up. Yeah. And what I think is, given that he wrote the book that this screenplay is based on, he had a very high opinion of Errol Flynn because I tell you what, he doesn't lose a fight and every woman wants to sleep with him and he's always the smartest guy in the room. So it makes you think that Errol Flynn maybe had an ego to him and they're trying to 
tone that down of anything in the movie. Right. So if you can ignore all that, is it an adventure? Is it still a fun, adventurous film? It certainly goes to that big adventure vibe. And I will say it's evident that their budget wasn't huge. And I think that that does restrict it sometimes. You can tell that they were going for something maybe a little grander and maybe their budget didn't quite stretch that far. Even a scene where he's in the water with what looks like stock image of a shark, <laughs> I'm pretty certain. So who should see this film? I remember my granddad used to really love all the old Errol Flynn swashbuckling movies. So I think that he will really appreciate kind of this swashbuckling adventure with Errol Flynn again. For your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, you can go to the socials, Facebook and Instagram, leave a comment on the Cinema Crew posts, and tell us who you reckon deserves a biopic. We talked about Errol Flynn, talked about Neil Armstrong. There's been so many throughout history. Who do you think is the next in line? Next week, a remake of the classic Barb Streisand, Chris Christopherson film, A Star Is Born, but with Lady Gaga and directed by Hangover star Bradley Cooper. And despite all that, I can honestly say I've heard it's friggin' amazing. Also, 1%, which is a film about almost being out of battery. It's a horror. (laughs) No, no. It's an Australian film. We're pumping them out at the moment. It's about the underworld of the motorcycle gang. So not as scary as the phone thing, but potentially a better film. (laughs) Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Vari. Cheers. I'm Kyron Wheatley, and we'll see you, or at least you'll hear us, next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.